Amen. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is amazing grace. Uh, may we know that anew, uh, or may we know that again. Uh, and I know that there are people in, uh, in this building, as there are in, in every church building, that, that really uh, have not felt or tapped into your grace. Uh, and because of that, they haven't truly activated uh, their gifts, uh, their purpose in life. So I pray that they would feel your grace uh, today, in the next 30 minutes, and the power of your spirit here in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for, uh, for watching that. Uh, as our family ministry, uh, you all go to Sunday school class, thankful for our teachers. Uh, and as they go out, uh, if you could take your Bibles and you can turn to 1 Peter uh, towards the back of your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, let me say this, and I always say this, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. Uh, there's some on a table uh, down towards the back. You are welcome to take that home with you. First Peter 2. Now, for those of y'all who had not been coming over the last couple weeks since Easter, uh, we are in a series that we call A New. A New. can be a new life, a new purpose. Today we're looking at a new church. This whole series is based on one verse. We'll put that verse up on screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a wonderful, beautiful, radical idea. In Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. I don't know if you were paying attention to uh, the video, but at the end, it talks about his followers going out and sharing good news. What's the good news? That we're always trying to save ourselves. And those efforts will always, always fail. Jesus has done the work. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan. He has defeated death. And that should be good news. And yet so many of us don't really receive it as good news. If we're honest. So today we're talking about a new church. And I want to focus on this church, Bellwether Church, uh, what it would mean to look like a new church. I was at a conference, really a one-day conference, last week uh, through this uh, church planning network called Acts 29 uh, that we're going to be more and more involved with. And the conference was about the challenge of preaching, teaching, doing church in what they call The Christ-haunted South. Anybody ever heard that phrase? The Christ-haunted South? I know our PhD in English over here has. Who said that phrase? Flannery O'Connor. I was an English major, didn't know that. But the Christ-haunted South. Uh, What might that mean to you? Well, haunting is done by ghosts, and ghosts aren't real. And the whole premise was that there is this haunting of something uh, that has not been made real that we know have this semblance of Christ, but it's not the real thing. It's not the real deal. Uh, that is a pretty radical statement uh, for us church-going uh, folks. And they talked about three of the challenges for preaching, teaching, doing church 
in a Jackson, Mississippi, or a Birmingham, Alabama, or in Atlanta, or a New Albany, Mississippi, or a Lexington, Mississippi, or wherever you might find yourself. And the three things were, first was the familiarity with Jesus. See, I bet every one of you, every one of you, which is different in other parts of the country and the world, every one of y'all coming in has some, maybe it's large, maybe it's small, familiarity with the Bible, with biblical stories, with Jesus. Even if you're like, hey, I'm not doing rides with God. Hey, I'm not doing my devotion time. Hey, I'm just here. But you still, you know, we know the manger. We know the cross. We know healings. We know Noah. We probably know, you know, we know these stories. There's a familiarity that we have to push through. Uh, Another challenge, and this was interesting too, and I thought about it for a while. it, It is a challenge. The polarization between the city and the country. And I was raised in the country. I was at my home country church uh, last week, seeing my nephew be baptized, but it would have different challenges than pastoring, ministering in the city. You're like, well, what would those be? Well, there in the, in the city, you know, you've got folks who are, let's say, diverse, and I'm not talking about racially, but politically, economically, There was a fascinating article in the New York Times. Jackson made the New York Times. I do read the New York Times. I know that probably may offend somebody. I also read the Wall Street Journal, so hopefully I get both. But the article, so I had Jack, it was two weeks ago. And the article was in regards to uh, the bill that's been passed recently and talking about how those who uh, were considering themselves countercultural in this state, uh, so those of same-sex attraction, or those who don't, but yet who very, very much support that movement, were really like hunkering down in a city like Jackson, saying, this is our home, we're not leaving. It did a, a, an interview with folks at a coffee shop in Jackson. Unfortunately, it was not Sneaky Beans. I thought that might be where it was. It was in Cups. And talking about this, this culture where you have folks uh, of both, which is different than, I mean, my church... In Myrtle, Mississippi, uh, you're not getting many of those folks. You track it with me? You know what I'm saying? But in the cities here, there are, are different cultural views. And so they talked about it, it is a, a pretty vast polarization down here, still between country, I call it country city. You know, remember the old story, the country mouse and city mouse? I love that. So, so we're city mice here. Anyway, the other one, the third, and this is, I think, the biggest challenge. The expectations of coming to church. Here. What are you talking about expectations? There are a lot of expectations uh, that you don't get elsewhere. You're like, well, what are the expectations? Well, off, we just had our kids. That, I mean, they're beautiful. They took off. An expectation of, well, I, I can get my kids raised and trained here. I don't know much about the Bible, and I really don't have the time uh, to read it. Thanks, preacher, for the, uh, for the info. I'm going to sit here, but hey, my kids can get a dose Sunday school. Hey, youth, youth tonight, they can... They can get a dose as well, so my kids are going to be taken care of, and I want to find the church that will best take care of my kids. That's one expectation. Uh, another expectation, we've talked about this, social business contacts. So say business, you know, making a deal. Hey, I'll meet with you for coffee Monday or Tuesday. Socially, hey, let's start a supper club. Uh, let's call our small group a B group. Really, I mean, it's nice, but we can make it a supper club too. Expectations there. Another expectation, and you may be 
you may have this expectation right now. It's like, hey, where are you going with this preacher? Because I really just kind of want, you know, uh, on a one to ten scale, just an uplifting message, you know, one being the least uplifting, ten, just hit it out of the park. Throw Philippians 4.13 in there. That's how I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. You know, send us home early. Let me get a good lunch and take care of my kids. I'm good. Oh, yeah, and some relationships. Oh, I love the community here. They are big time expectations in this church and in all churches that I believe you have to push through to uh, see what that video said, the gospel, the good news, really knowing it. Therefore, I would simply ask, like, how do you see church? What are the expectations you have? How do you see this church? How do you see Bellwether? Hey, man, you're pushing, you know, an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, come on, man. I mean, I need, I mean, I like nukes too. We'll be at nukes today, but what's the expectations? Is there a time frame? Anyway, this passage, 1 Peter 2, and I'm going to read verse 4 through 10. This passage is on the church. It's on the church. It's really on every church or what the church should be. So let's read it and let's, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, see church anew. 1 Peter 2, let's start with verse 4. As you come to him, him is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How do you see the church? How do we see the church? Uh, this passage is about the church, and this passage shows us that in the church, so in this house, in this building, this morning, you can find the glory of God, the gifts of God, and the grace of God. The glory of God, the gifts of God, the grace of God. First, the glory of God. The glory of God, the power of God. I don't know about y'all, yet sometimes I will will raise my hand in worship. How many hand raisers do we really got here? Let me just, you know, let me see a show of hands. Hand raisers, unite. A few, a few, okay. I don't mind that. I don't mind you not raising your hand. Sometimes, you know, just don't feel it. There was a moment in uh, that second, I don't know which one. Maybe it was the second song where it was no words and just music. Uh, now, when I do, I close my eyes. I mean, the hand will come up, and I am feeling, I believe, the, the glory of God, uh, a little taste of heaven, and, and I want to worship that. I want to honor that. I have not gone to two hands yet. I'm thinking about it, though. <laughs> we got some two-handers. I, mean, I, I respect that. 
I want y'all to stay here, though. You're like, man, two a.m., I don't know. Right, we'll see. Okay. But I'm feeling like glory, glory. There's something supernatural, something not of like flesh and mortar. Glory of God. Now, what's interesting about this passage, like how do you connect this passage to the song? Well, there is this uh, verse 5, and it says, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Okay, that is, and you may not know this, that that is a direct connection to a quote in Exodus. Everybody know, we're familiar with the burning bush story, right? Everybody knows the burning bush. Who, who was in the burning bush? Who was it? God was, who was facing the burning bush? Excuse me. Moses, okay, you know burning bush, see? Familiarity. Burning bush, and then Moses uh, saves the people, or God saves the people, Moses leads the people, they go to Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, they have been in the glory and the presence of God and they're walking down and almost to a T there's this exact verse that God says, you are to be a holy priesthood. You are to offer spiritual sacrifices. You're being built up as a spiritual house. So there's a connection that Peter's doing with the church, which by the way, he's writing to the church in Rome. First and second Peter are often called uh, the other letters to Rome, the church in Rome. He's making this connection saying the same glory that was present in the burning bush is available for you as as you're worshiping together in Rome while they're persecuting you. And he's saying to us, because the Bible gives us context, it also gives us clarity for today. So he's saying to us too, the same glory and power that was in the burning bush, you can find in Bellwether's house on a Sunday morning at 10.30 for worship. Thank you, Moody. Amen. I believe that. You know, burning bush, nice story. No, I believe that. The glory of God. Exodus 19.6. It's connection. Now, some of you in your minds are refuting that. And that probably breaks some expectations that you might have. If I were in your seats or, or your shoes way, way, way back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was like, man, you, you know, what'd you smoke this morning? Yeah. I did smoke then, not now. But anyway, so what it says, though, is it does say that. There is a power accessible here. Yes, here, in this place, in this house. That is not accessible in our Rise with God or quiet time. Because some would say, and thanks, but hey, I got God's word. I got my, my time in the morning. You know, I can experience it. I got my window. I look out. I see God's creation in hunting season, you know, right before... You know, I'm calling a turkey in or waiting for a deer. You know, I got that, and, and hey, I do that too. It's, it's great. It's beautiful. However, that's, that's not only not exactly right, that's wrong. That God's glory is made more manifest in his house with his people. Some would say, too, that's good, yet 
I, uh, I've got all these podcasts I could listen to. I mean, I can go to this church, but I've got a buffet of podcasts uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. And there's some great preachers here uh, nationally. Got some great podcasts of folks I listen to uh, internationally, international ministries. I mean, I got them lined up. So thanks, but I'm really growing more listening as I do whatever I do to my podcast each day. And, and I'm feeling it. And I would say, no, that's wrong too. There was a, a pastor in uh, London in uh, the beginning earlier part of the 20th century, named Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'll quote him a lot. He, he's known as uh, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. Uh, you may think it's Billy Graham. Billy Graham's great, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And when they finally, you know, in our technological era, they, they had first finally developed the tape recording system. I know it makes Phil old. Tape. Remember the Walkmans? I know, Phil old. But they had the tape recording. They wanted to record his sermons, which is great because I've listened to some of them. But he said... He said, that's good. At first, he didn't allow it. Then he said, I'll allow it, but it's not the same as being in the presence. And he said, you know, it's not a psychological deal because you can think, yes, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, you're in a body of believers. You're hearing the same thing. You're together. So you can make a psychological argument. I'm not going to make that. It's a theological argument that the glory of God is with his people. I mean, he's going here, Peter You yourselves are like spiritual stones. You're built up. You are a holy priesthood. It's plural. And so there is a theological, it's not my opinion, it's biblical. The glory of God is in his church. And and the last argument I I would refute is is some folks would say like, okay, I'm just going to hang out. I mean, I'm going to come in and out to church as I can. But I'm not going to join. I'm not going to be a covenant member. Uh, I'll just come. You know, sometimes nonchalantly, sometimes sneak in the back. Um, and that's wrong too. I mean, you want to. God wants us to be a covenant community. Like, what's covenant? We're, we're covenanting to God's word. We're covenanting to Jesus. We're covenanting to faith. And you're like, well, why should I do that? I mean, because I got the freedom of the Bible on my own, and I got my slate of podcasts, and I got the freedom and flexibility that if I want to go to Starbucks, I can one Sunday. But if I want to come to church, I can't. I mean, what's the point here? And the point is not, hear this, this pastor's opinion. The point is biblical that church was created to house the glory of God in this midst amongst the people of God that are covenanting together in good and in bad and say we will walk together to be Jesus' community to reach our corner and our neighbors and nations. So it was in Rome. So it was before Jesus coming down from Mount Sinai. So it is today. That's a new way of looking at church. Now, you might say again, like, well, you know, great, but, you know, I don't see the glory of God here. I say that. You're not, you're not wowing me with his glory in this sermon, buddy. You're not wowing me with worship. I would just say this. Uh, Isaiah, you should read Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 sometime. I can't read the whole thing. Isaiah went to the temple, which was like the church at the end. And here's the deal. He went every day. And Isaiah 6 was one day. And he saw the full glory of God, like coming down from heaven. 
You could also say Thomas. Remember, everybody knows Thomas. Thomas doubting Thomas. You know, he missed one of the disciples' meetings. Jesus showed up. You don't want to miss church. You never know when Jesus might show up. I mean, for real. It may not happen every Sunday. It might happen every... You don't know that Jesus shows up. And then you're still saying, yeah, but come on. I mean, I'd much rather have my freedom. Man, we need to quit or kill or what destroy our small ambitions. A couple stories uh, real quick. Uh, 1856, New York City, there was a church that wanted to start a prayer group at noon uh, from their church. And so a small prayer group started meeting in Manhattan. Three years later, there were thousands of prayer groups that started from that prayer group. And like 100,000 were converted during that year, during that three-year period. And when New York was only like a 500,000 folk city. In Ireland, uh, the next year, 1857, one person from one church just wanted folks to start coming to church and went door-to-door knocking, not inviting them, just saying, hey, can I pray for you? The small little village in Ireland, 1857. Three to four years later, uh, that one person, who was a lady, don't know her name off the top of my head, I've heard the story. Uh, Many thousands were converted uh, from that, beginning with God's work in that lady. Uh, This century, in 1901, 1% of North Koreans were Christian. Today, 13% of North Koreans are Christian. You look at East Africa, a movement of God has started there. We want to pray Isaiah 64.1. Check that verse out too, where Isaiah prays, Lord, open the heavens that your power may come down. Kill the small ambitions. It's why we talk about raise more. It's why we say a million, yeah, but we can do that. It's why we talk about love your neighbor. Kill the small ambitions because the glory of God and is going to move. Kill the small way of looking at church. The glory of God, not of this world, is here. And if you're like, man, are you done shouting? No. The glory of God is here, okay? The glory of God. Also the gifts of God. Now look at this, verse 5 and verse 9. They kind of say the same thing, but focus on verse 9. It says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The gifts of God. Each Christian has a gift. Uh, I love Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians talks a lot about this, but we see the three primary gifts of every Christian in these verses. That would be prophet, priest, king. Every Christian, I always think there's kind of a major and a minor, like you have one as a major, one as a minor, prophet, priest, king. Every Christian. You're the major prophet, major priest, major king, or one or the other. You're like, where does it say that? Well, it says a royal priesthood. Priests. It says, you may proclaim the excellencies. As we saw in the video, to proclaim. That's, Prophets do that. Go and speak. Go and say. It says you're royal king. The gifts of God can only, only be found within the church community. You can discover your gifts, that God has given you a gift. You're like, well, what do prophets, priests, kings do? A prophet has the courage and wisdom to go proclaim God's love out. 
A priest brings the love of God in. Love on people, care on people. And the king gets it organized, basically, or strategized about how to do it. You need to hear this. All of you have at least one of those gifts. Prophet, proclaim God's love out. Priest, bring the love in. King, figure out how to do it. Uh, my wife could easily tell you, I'm, I'm very, very low on the king gift scale, okay? Uh, prophet, though, man, I can track with. And you're like, well, prophet, doesn't that like, okay, you shouted some today. Does that mean like, pro- prophet's one-on-one, too. Prophet's saying, let's go to India. That there are people out there that need to hear the gospel. Both in, in conversation over coffee and both preached and proclaimed. Prophet says more folks should go to Honduras. Prophet says, prophets push. Priests love in. Care for. Got a little priest too. Sometimes. But you all have a gift. Now here's the deal. Many of those gifts are not activated. It's almost like to really experience the gifts of God. And y'all, y'all really need to hear this. Like you really do. Something has to detonate. You know, like a bomb detonates. And often... We're so looking at church as how we see it with the familiar things and expectations. It's not detonating. And actually it doesn't necessarily mean to be loud. It just means something has to go off in you. What is it? It's the grace of God. It is the grace of God. It is knowing knowing you're not going to save yourself. It's it's knowing I've got to stop saving myself. It's knowing you're only only saved by grace. So that means nothing you do. You know, I, don't have to, I don't do anything. You know, i got to make a choice. No, you don't. i got to raise my hand. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's only the grace of God. In the church, glory of God, they're the gifts of God, but so often, and I would say this is true for this church too, let people, it is not detonated because you don't know. You haven't experienced the sheer grace of God's love. And that's the other thing we can see in this passage, the, the grace of God. And you're like, well, where do we see the grace? I'll show in just a minute, but stay with me, stay with me. The grace of God is found where you say, man, because of that moment, maybe somebody says something, maybe, maybe you heard a sermon, maybe you read in the Bible, but you, you see and feel a heart wound. Call it a heart wound. That your self-righteousness will not save you. That sounds like a bad word, self-righteousness. Righteousness really is defined as a right way to live. So when you're thinking, I'm living the right way, and that can look like many things. Oh, I'm, I'm living the right way. I'm really trying to get my life together. Uh, I'm really trying to have uh, this, this nice, just a family full of niceness. And, and we're looking good. You know, money's feel pretty good. You know. It's a, it's a right way to live. Another right way to live is, hey, I'm single, you know, I'm free, you know, I can party if I want. I got a string, if you're a guy, a string of girls that I could call. You know, I'm known as cool guy or Mr. Player. I mean, I'm living the right way right now. I will figure it out at some point and I'll float into church every now and then. Or a right way to live is my career is really progressing. This is going to be the best year. I'm just going to kill it. A right way to live. When you experience, as people in church history had, that had great gifts, but they were not activated, men like John Wesley, Martin Luther, George Whitfield, 
Martin Lloyd-Jones. And you're like, I don't know them. You need to figure them out. It's not just Billy Graham. Something detonated. Something went off. And it was the grace of God. And they said, my right way of living is not going to cut it. Thanks be to God. He's there with grace. Right there. So the grace of God. How, how do you experience that? Because when you do experience it, let me say this. When you experience it, I believe you are no longer wandering. You live a life of wonder. Wonder. How many of y'all want to live a life of wonder? I mean, I love children. Like, it's like they live this life of wonder. I think that's what C.S. Lewis tapped into. You live a life of wonder. And you just see these possibilities. And you see there are no accidents in Christianity. And, and it's just like, it's just awesome. A life of wonder. You got to see that how free God's grace is, how much love is in God's grace, and how, how much it costs him. We can see it in this, this verse. First off, real quick, as we close up, it says you're a chosen race. Let me be clear here. It doesn't say you're a choice race. You tracking with me? It doesn't say you're a choice race. It says you're a chosen race. You've already, you're here. There are no accidents in Christianity. God led you here. You're a chosen race. It's free. God's grace is free. He's, he's giving it to you. It's, that's what I'm saying. Nothing you do. It's given to you. How loved you are. It says possession there, verse 9. You're his own possession. You know, that word uh, is literally translated treasured possession. So here's the deal. The creator of the vast universe of stars and their beauty, of the storm, the thunder we just heard, if you're a mountain person, the grandeur of the mountains, if you're an ocean beach person, you know, just the, the wonder of the seas, the one who did that said, you are personally my treasured possession. You got to know that love and that it's free. But that it did cost God something. And that's the good news that Jesus stepped into. Last verse, verse 10, says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, now you have received mercy. That's not just Peter's words there. That's a quote. That's a quote back from Hosea 2. Hosea chapter 2. Never preach on Hosea. You're like saying, thank you, please don't. But no, Hosea, actually, I probably I should. It's actually an interesting story. Hosea's wife cheated on him. I don't mean to point to you, sweetie. Yeah, Hosea's wife cheated on him. And he was giving up on her. And then God says, go and buy her back. And he uses this exact quote there. He says, once you were not my people, God says, and now you are. And once we were not. And then Jesus came and took on uh, the burden, the penalty, the sin, the death, the fight, the lack of meaning, lack of purpose, the wandering, the darkness in our hearts, the snake from Genesis 3 that wraps around hearts and wraps around the world. He stomped on it, but it cost him. He died, then he defeated death. So I would just say this, something, again, and it can't be me or can't be anything from a human being but to see anew, and this whole series about seeing anew, something's got to detonate. Something's got to go off. And that thing is knowing the grace. 
It's free, it's love, and it costs God a great deal. And you see it every Sunday in worship. When you see it, you do see the glory of God. And let's, let's look to it now as we come to the Lord's table. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for these people. I pray for these people in this house because there are some things that need to detonate. And they see that their self-righteousness will not save them. Their right way to live. But your righteousness does. I pray that we would release, we would let go, that we would experience the power of your grace uh, right now, this afternoon, moving forward, and that gifts would flourish and gifts would come about and be awakened. And yes, in Bellwether Church, and yes, for your kingdom, but yes, for this church. Pray that over and over again for these people. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. Your glory is found here. In your name we pray, amen.